Please be seated. And as we are continuing today in Paul's letter to the Colossians, we're looking at the first specific application of all that has been previously said. I'm talking about our family relationships. If you're thinking, I'm going to go now since I'm not married and I don't have kids. Wait, hold on. I believe God has something to say to you today. Jesus has been gloriously proclaimed in the chapter before this as the creator of all things in heaven and earth, who holds all things together as the head of the church and now the head of the household and family. We understand that without Christ being raised from the dead, we have no power. Unless Christ is my life, I can do nothing. Colossians 3 verse 1 says, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And later in verse 4, it starts, When Christ, who is your life. Today we're going to be looking at uh, a summary of these uh, uh, verses that we had read in uh, Colossians 3 um, that I summarized into uh, a line that just says, the power to listen and love. And we'll be looking at those three words, power, listen, and love. The preceding verse 17 tells us that we are to do everything in the name of of Jesus. But then, why are these first specific examples following focused just inside the home, especially in light of all that has recently happened outside our homes, in our city and nation? To begin to answer this question, let me start with this. When we look at power, there's two things. Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. First, the power is the spirit in you. This should make us shake a little bit this morning. Second, true power belongs to the one who serves. Jesus redefined greatness as serving others. The movie Schindler's List has a great quote. Power is when we have every justification to kill, and we don't. Unlike Roman culture, Paul here never commands men to lead by demanding their wives to do things for them. Roman and Jewish law treated women as possessions who could not have responsibilities for their own actions and had no legal rights. My five-year-old son, Zach, once asked me, Daddy, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now he prays to be able to teach people in church about God after I die and that they don't throw rocks at him if they don't like what they hear, such as perhaps the following. As many women were being saved in the Roman Empire, Paul, like Jesus, has a new approach. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. You must understand for this time, this was 
radical. A new respect for women who are directly addressed by written house rules for the first time. To submit means to be subordinate, to place under, or to subject oneself voluntarily. This was not meant to be demeaning, uh, a demeaning term for Christian wives. How do we know this? Because as Christians, Ephesians 5.21 reminds us, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is for all Christians, no matter what your role is. The Greek word translated as submit emphasizes a voluntary and positive tone. It wasn't meant to be forced or inferior. This addresses wives first as co-equal partners who are just as responsible as men. And we know that both male and female are created to form the image of God. This plea to submit is with a high view of the wife who has the power and spirit within to choose. We know this because of the phrase, as is fitting in the Lord, which means that wives have to choose if what her husband is doing or asking is fitting or right for those under Christ. Acts 5.29 says, we must obey God rather than men. So this is not talking about a blind obedience. And Christ has greater authority over a wife than any husband does. You see, both are under the rule of Jesus as king, which is what it means to be in the Lord. This gave dignity and raised the social status of women to be equals under Christ. Like Jesus completely submits to the Father, but is also equal with the Father. Like the church submits to Jesus and is to be one with Jesus. Submission is seen in the Trinity, in Christ and the church, which is the deeper mystery that marriage symbolizes. Where Christian wives submit to the God-ordained leadership of her husband. Let me share one example of a wife's quiet submission. In the beginning of this year, my wife Serena and I were shopping at Costco, and she picked up the biggest, most gigantic jug of hand sanitizer I ever saw. And so I politely asked if we could just put it back as who would ever need so much hand sanitizer for $10? My wife submitted to my biblical leadership as her husband and decided to return what her women's intuition was telling her we should get anyway. And then coronavirus happened. That same jug of hand sanitizer sold out at Costco and then was selling online for $100. Serena never brought this up again, but I've never stopped looking for jugs of hand sanitizer since. You see, even when we make mistakes, your Christian role at home or church is never meant to define you or give you status in the world like a job does when you're successful. But Christ is your life, your identity. This is where our power to submit or love comes from, that we died with Christ and regularly put to death our old ways. And then we rise with Christ with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So even when we fail in our submission 
or love, with his power in us, we can rise again. This has been an emotional and challenging week. As a pastoral intern, I've been learning how to submit as well, even at the cost of feeling exposed, embarrassed, or even defensive in how to listen and to love our church better. Yet I was greatly encouraged by some of our brothers and sisters who were willing to speak truth with such love in wanting to help our church grow, which reminded me of his resurrection power that helped me to rise again from feeling sad to again try and love our beloved people better and our neighbors better, as my wife helped me to see. My identity is not in my role or my performance or even this church, but in Christ and his resurrection power. Beloved, a wife's submission is never meant to be separated from God's command to the husband to love his wife. The context is in response to a sacrificial love of a husband. These interconnected partner responsibilities must be done together. But what if your partner isn't doing their part? Focusing on what your partner isn't doing or needs to do or to demand your rights, we know never works in marriage. The only way this vicious cycle of bitterness is broken is if you focus on doing your part first to start loving and submitting. The best way for your needs to be met is not to focus on your own need, but to counterintuitively focus on your partner's need. These Christian house rules are each a command with an incentive, except for the ones to the husbands, whom we will address last. So the next group addressed in verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. The best definition of obey, I found, is two words, listen and under, or listen under. Do you know that the one thing necessary to fulfill each of these commands is to listen? This is our second point. Listen. You, you see, though this verse probably refers to younger kids who live under their parents' roof, there's actually some biblical evidence this may also refer to adult children. You see that caring for elderly parents is pleasing and required by God. 1 Timothy 5.4 talks about making some return to parents. 2 Timothy 3.2 talks about this list of sins that don't really seem to apply to children. It talks about in the last days there will be lovers of money who are abusive and disobedient to their parents. So children, obeying your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. For this pleases the Lord. My youth pastor once told me when I was under my parents' roof, unless you are 100% sure that what your parents are asking you to do is not in the Lord, you should obey. But this must be pleasing to the Lord. So you cannot obey your parents if they are telling you to do something against God and his word, especially as adult children. But we can still obey the sixth commandment to honor our parents to listen under them, even if you cannot fully always obey non-Christian parents. 
One example of this is some InterVarsity staff once wrote a book called Following Jesus Without Dishonoring Your Parents. It was to help encourage Christian college students who were wrestling with how to honor their parents even in their disobedience as they were being forbidden by their parents from giving up potentially lucrative careers to instead, in their parents' eyes, beg for money by raising support to join InterVarsity staff, which they still did, but found ways also to communicate and listen under and involve their parents in an honoring way. When was the last time you listened under your parents? Ephesians 6 recites the promise to those who honor their parents in this way that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Last year, we had a baby. So now we have four kids, seven years and under, quarantined in tight quarters. I truly knew I became a member of the Dad's Club when I realized I get most excited when I get to drive our minivan, which I actually like and can have my own seat and space. So so dads, this is for you, back to verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Do not provoke means do not exasperate or irritate by nagging or ridiculing always criticizing, refrain from causing bitterness or anger by being dads who are overly strict, irritable, inconsistent, distant. Though dads are not to provoke their kids, interestingly, Hebrews 10 tells us as a church, we are to provoke or irritate one another to love and good deeds. Have you ever been irritated by someone at church? to do either of these? And you might ask, what about the mothers? Why is this addressed only to fathers? Well, it's hard enough to submit to a husband. So it's the men who have more orders from God to obey. But seriously, many dads are often seen to be away from the kids more than moms and more likely to misunderstand their kids. There was a Roman law section called The Power of the Father, where dads were legally permitted to sell, to enslave, or even take the lives of their own kids. But here, Christian dads are uniquely limited in their power. The word says, lest they become discouraged. It means else your children may lose heart or become timid. There are two ways of taming a horse, as R. Kent Hughes writes. The first one is a gradual way over time to teach a horse to obey, to reach its full potential like kids whose obedience grows through love and encouragement. The second way is with a wood plank, a two-by-four, which provides immediate results and allows one to be able to tame an extra wild horse, but it comes at a great cost. The horse becomes obedient but spiritless. It can never be what it could have been. Like kids who are so harshly punished in an effort to train towards obedience that there's something missing. Afterwards, they, they have lost heart that often leads to either being withdrawn or rebellious. 
as one of the older kids at our church, my seven-year-old daughter, Rhea, had the opportunity to read the Bible passage this past Easter during the live stream service. After recording over 10 takes, where she was learning to pronounce almost all the words while smiling and making eye contact with my camera, she was so close to perfectly reciting the entire passage. And then right before the end, she couldn't pronounce just one last word. And because I didn't want to ruin the image of perfection, I didn't want to stop and help her. I kept filming and let her stammer and stutter through the words so long that I just had to turn the camera off in frustration, leaving her in tears and unable to continue. I failed to recognize my daughter needed a special tenderness from me, as I was more concerned with her doing a perfect job for our church that I was caref- not careful in what it was not, it was I was more concerned about that than I was careful to not break her spirit. As this word warns us, I I provoked her until she became discouraged. I confess I saw my own tiger parent tendencies come out, even though I usually think we, we are more like turtle parents. But my own lack of encouragement to my own daughter taught me something. In God's economy, failure and our failures can, can lead us to understand that to love is more important than perfection. His power is made perfect in weakness, as 2 Corinthians 12 tells us. But how do dads take the initiative to cheerfully encourage their children? You can cross-reference to the Ephesians 6 passage that commands fathers to raise children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's looking for ways to say yes to them whenever possible, but it's also very intentional to be also knowing when to say no to them and to consistently do that when necessary. For discipline pleases the Lord. What son is there whom his father doesn't discipline, Hebrews 12.7 asks. Studies show that kids who were disciplined grew to have more confidence. And because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, dads who do not discipline are actually being unloving and even cruel to their children. And to discipline correctly requires dad to be good listeners of their kids. Remember the story of Mary and Martha, where Jesus praises Mary for choosing the one thing that is necessary? I always thought it was because Martha was so busy serving while Mary was the one sitting at Jesus' feet. But I actually miss the one necessary thing Jesus talks about. Luke 10, 39 says, listened to his teaching. The most important thing is not just to sit at his feet, but it's to sit in order to listen to him. And just as children are to listen under our earthly parents, how much more are we to listen to our heavenly father? God could have chosen the master-slave relationship to define his relationship with us. But instead, he chose to be our father for his own family relationship with us as children. For us children, then, to be listening attentively and believingly to our father. Isn't it most important for us to keep listening to him before we do anything for him? It's interesting that the common requirement to do each of the four commands in the Ephesians passage we're looking at today, uh, I'm sorry, in the Col- Colossians passage we're looking at today, is to listen. 
to do any of these four Colossian commands well, we have to listen. And we shall see next, to listen is to love. So our third point on love, this goes back to verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This was also radical in its time because love was not commanded for husbands in any secular house rules of the day. It was accepted for Roman men to be bitter and angry with their wives through harsh, loud words or physical threats, even to intimidate. It was foreign, even in the Greek world, to use the word love for households, even though the word love was commonly used to describe romance. Unique, this was, because it was the first command of love that was applied to Christian households. Love. Colossians 3.14 says before this, to put on love. This was the only one of the four commands without any incentive uh, needed to be put afterwards because love is required and presumed necessary for all believers. But the challenge is how to gently love your wife like Christ loves the church. This is only truly obeyed when a husband loves his wife like Jesus by laying down his life and dying to himself. We know that marriage exposes our sin. As husbands, we must keep asking for and also initiating costly forgiveness, even when we don't want to. When it doesn't feel fair or it may feel even humiliating to be uh, felt uh, disrespected, uh, we must continue to love our wives even when we think we're not treated the way that we want to be. When a husband knows Christ gave himself up for us in the past, and then he gives us his resurrection power through his spirit now in the present, and then is going to prepare a place for us in the future, a husband can then give himself up for his wife, even when she's a little bit short with him after dealing with the kids. My love, then, is not dependent on my wife's love or her respect or even her submission. But my love is dependent on Christ in me. Genesis 2 describes this as, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Ephesians 5 says a husband is to love a wife like himself, like his own body, which is like being one with your wife's thinking and emotion. To love like Jesus loves is like the the Taiwanese word for love, tian. That means love, but it's the same word that also means hurt. Scripture tells us love covers over a multitude of sins. Uh, Pastor Colin Smith teaches that to love is to absorb hurt, to absorb hurt from others, to absorb another's pain, even when it's unjust, so that it ends here with me and I won't reciprocate. This is what it means to lay down my life like Jesus. And the heart of all we do is to love God first so that we have the power to then love others. Husbands, always be studying your wife as if you are pursuing a PhD in understanding her better than anyone else in this world. Do everything you can to understand her world 
even learning to study what she likes when shopping. Don't tune out. Even learning what she likes to watch and and why she likes to watch her shows. Though some of you may be begging me to stop now, a survey revealed that the top two things commonly said by couples who kept a strong marriage going, number one, my spouse is my best friend, and the number two thing they said was, I like my spouse as a person. Some single people here are probably wondering, so what happens when you get married? And all the dads are telling me to shut up. So parents, just like a a very special chance uh, with your kids is right before bedtime when, ironically, your kids are most awake. It's to laugh with them, to read the Bible, to pray and listen to each other. Just like that, uh, for dads, praying for your wife is one way of really loving your wife intimately. And also by loving her in an understanding way, as, as 1 Peter 3 tells us, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Do not be harsh, as the word says, just means do not make bitter. It, it's uh, done when, when we keep blaming each other unfairly. It's, it's when we, uh, to learn how to obey God's command to love my wife means that I have to be more careful not to bring my work stress home to a wife that didn't cause those frustrations in the first place. Both marital commands must be done together. Again, it's crazy for a husband to demand submission if he is not laying down his life for his wife to love her. And it also cannot work for a wife to demand radical love, though the husband still should, without willingly choosing to submit to his leadership. Beloved, what does this teach us about the heart of God? We see that he is a gentle father, It's amazing that God's heart is to not want to provoke or discourage us. He does not want to be harsh with us, but desires to love us sacrificially by laying down his life for us. He even cares that other authority figures should be gentle and and being gentle to those under them to prevent breaking their spirit. Church of the Beloved, about 60 years ago, there was another beloved community spoken of which goes like this. Love is creative and redemptive. Love builds up and unites. Hate tears down and destroys. The aftermath of the fight with fire method, which you suggest, is bitterness and chaos. The aftermath of the love method is reconciliation and creation of the beloved community. Physical force can repress, restrain, coerce, destroy, but it cannot create and organize anything permanent. Only love can do that. Yes, love, which means understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill, even for one's enemies, is the solution to the race problem. That was Martin Luther King Jr. in 1957. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. This Luke 6 passage doesn't make sense until we realize the answer to this question. Who is the ungrateful and the evil? We, 
we were the ungrateful and evil, and sometimes still are, whom God is kind and merciful. So we then must be kind and merciful to one another. James 2.13, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. As our sister Shana reminded us, his kindness leads us to repentance, as Scripture says. So godly marriages then and family should proclaim this gospel to the whole world. Matthew 28, 19, we know this great commission that starts, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But have you thought, what, what is a disciple? And how will all people know that we are his disciples? John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 17, 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Counterintuitively, to reach the world, Jesus claims it starts with our love for one another internally. Leo Tolstoy says this, that everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. To put the world in order, Confucius says, we must first put the nation in order. To put the nation in order, we must first put the family in order. To put the family in order, we must first cultivate our personal life. We must first set our hearts right. What can we do in response to anger and hate after we lament? It's to love God so that you can love your family and your neighbors. Remember, even the Colossians passage that we're reading has its first application after prayer is to start with a family. Kind of feels like a lame response during this time what we, in what we see of the world, of COVID and injustice. But this is the big statement to the world, to love your God by loving your family and your church family and your neighbor, to focus on the right way and not highlighting just the wrong. Changing the world starts not by focusing on the world outside exclusively, but focusing on Christ inside us, who then focuses us and our, fam- and our families inside our homes as where change starts. If we want power to listen and love our city, we have to start with his power to listen and love our families. We want to encourage those who are called to fight externally for what is right and to love our neighbor because we need the whole body of Christ working together and we must keep coming back together to focus on Christ in order to last in this fight. Do I really believe in the resurrection power of Jesus and that it is true, his spirit lives in me? If not, prayer is optional. But if yes, we will keep coming back to him to be empowered. In closing, one of my past teachers, author and pastor Lee Eckloff, was trying to explain to people how Christian hope is different than any other hope. What does a a dad or a husband do when he is all out of love, when he cannot give anymore and he keeps failing? 
What does a wife do when she just simply cannot submit to her husband? As we think about how can a Christian hope be able to love when we, how can a Christian hope to be able to love when we keep failing? I want to leave you with one last picture to take home. Over here, we have a woman who really wants to have a baby. Over here, we have another woman who really wants to have a baby. Just as this woman is waiting, also this woman has been waiting. Both hope for a baby. This one is pregnant. That's what hope in Christ is like. That's how a Christian can hope to have the power to listen and love. Something there that's already there, but not yet. Though you can't always see it, the Spirit is alive in you to give you the power to listen and love.